Sometimes the most memorable stories we carried with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. The Garrison Project Podcast tells those stories, your stories, and builds connections across generations of veterans. The Garrison Project, veterans connecting with veterans through the power of storytelling. And now your host, Dan Edinger co-founder of the Garrison Project. Hey everybody, this is Dan again with the Garrison Project podcast. Uh, Super excited for yet another exciting episode. I have a special guest, uh, as we always do. Uh, Now uh, now joining the show is Tyler Clemmis. Thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you for having me. Before we start digging into some stories here, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about where you're at now, kind of what you do for a living, family, friends, hobbies, that kind of stuff. What what keeps you busy nowadays? Sure. So I'm in the I'm in the corporate world now. Uh, I work as a project manager. Uh, I live in uh, near near Elkin, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, with my family. We've got a little bit of land. I've got a wife and a three year old son and a two year old daughter. Uh, and, and I just like hanging out at the house with them. Really, that's pretty much it for me. <laughs> what What do you do? You have any hobbies? I'm, I get it. With hanging out with the family, it sounds like a fun time. Do you have any hobbies that you do besides that? Uh, yeah. So I like I like uh, hunting, fishing. Uh, I like I have a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I like riding that. Nice. One of one of the few things that I can I can clear my head with is. If I'm having a bad day or something like that, my wife will tell me you need to go on a ride. So <laughs> I'll go ride. take the motor. Yeah, so I'll go take the motorcycle out for an hour, and that's what that's my happy place. That's where I clear my head. So uh, that's good but for hobbies. That's that's pretty much it. My my wife and kids take up a lot of my time. I, I don't like leaving my wife with all of the duties of the house. So I try to yeah. stay home as much as possible. I totally get it. What the, what kind of hunting do you? Do? So mostly deer hunting that's all i've mm-hmm. ever done uh we just recently moved to that area from the charlotte area uh nice. i just got into hunting a few years ago so that's all i've done is deer hunting i recently got my trapping license uh, so i'm looking into yeah so i'm looking to get into trapping uh raccoons uh and other small critters like that you'll see out in the woods and uh, one, <laughs> once i can kind of you know get to the point of trapping animals, uh, you know, the, the furs and, mm-hmm. and preparing furs and, and creating stuff with furs. Uh, that's something that I'm interested in also getting into. When, uh, so I grew up in Ohio and uh, my mom just a year before last, I think it was, was the last she hunted from the time she was 10 until she was 77 years old every year, oftentimes three seasons a year uh, deer hunting. Uh, and had, uh, we had kind of like a, a great room in the house I grew up in. So I had deer heads all over the place. But, um, when I was 12 and, and my dad hunted too, when I was 12, I was like, I guess, I guess I'm going to go hunting. Right. Cause, uh, in Ohio, when you're 12, you go get your permits. So I go to the, uh, to the little school. My dad takes me to the, to like the state school to get your hunting permit. I got my hunting and trapping permits. Just like, uh, it's like you were saying, right. And I had grand designs. My grandpa had given me, uh, some traps. And, and I, so I went hunting with a 20 gauge, uh, Ohio's just shotgun. Is it rifle here in North Carolina? 
so we have, yeah, so we have, depend, depending on the state, or some counties have separate restrictions, but overall uh-huh. for the state, there's a bow season that typically will start in September, okay. and then uh, a gun season will start in November, uh, and it'll go all the way until January 1st. Is it shotgun or rifle? Like, can you, or, can you, or, you know, or pistol? <laughs> well, in, in Ohio, you, in Ohio, they don't have a rifle season. You can only hunt shotgun. Right. Oh, wow. so, um, wow. so anyway, so, so I go out uh, and you can do black powder like that. Like you have different seasons. You have primitive weapons. So you can do bow season, black powder or shotgun, but you cannot hunt rifle in Ohio. So anyway, so I go out in the woods with a, uh, with a 20 gauge for the uh, 12 or 10 year old age of, uh, of 12 and go out there. And I hunted for maybe two or three days. And that was the last time I went hunting as well. <laughs> so, that was completely <laughs> it's it's, frust- it's frustrating because I've actually, I've been hunting for, oh, maybe six years or so. Okay. Uh, and, and I, I didn't have anywhere in North Carolina to hunt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all of my hunting for years was done on public land. Right. And that's where everybody else and their mother hunts. And so for the first three years of hunting, I mean, cumulatively, I probably spent 200 hours in the woods and never even saw a deer. Yeah, because um, everything's getting pushed out. I, yeah, so it was very frustrating. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did enjoy just being out in the, in the woods. Uh, but then I got lucky. I got access to some private land. Mm-hmm. And I got two deer in one season. And then last year, uh, I got one deer, uh, yep. and then this year or this past year in uh, 2021, uh, we had moved up to where we are now and we had some land so I can hunt on my land. Uh, and I got three long. deer. So, so the, the persistence paid off, so to speak. So, yeah, uh, seriously. And you butcher them and uh, eat the meat or do you give it away? Uh, no, I, I definitely eat them. Uh, yeah. some of them I, I butcher on my own or I'll, I'll clean them myself, yeah. uh, and then I will then uh, take them to a processor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's the way to kind of get the most bang for your buck. Uh, but my goal for next year is to, you know, start, get a meat grinder, uh, oh, stuff like yeah. that, so that I can so that I can start to process my own deer, uh, to, so I can kind of go slowly down the road of being a little bit more self-sufficient upon the land that I've moved to. That's pretty cool, man. The uh, uh... The other, the one, one year I must've been, I was in fourth grade. Uh, my t- I remember the teacher was Mrs. Houston and my mom had gotten a, a pretty big deer. It's like a 12 point. That might've been the biggest one she'd gotten to that point. So she got a 12 point. And I remember it hanging underneath the, uh, we had like a balcony that overlooked down into this woods. So she had it hanging underneath the balcony to finish, you know, clean up. She'd already cleaned it and all that kind of stuff uh, out in the, out in the woods and then drug it up. I don't know if she had somebody else drag it up, but anyway, so she had it at the house and it still had the heart in it. So I uh, got up in there and between me and my dad or whatever, we, we cut the heart out and I put it in a, one of these like little screw on top coolers uh, with a handle, like you'd carry water in water and ice. And I put some ice in there and put the heart in. I took it to school and Mrs. Houston like stood in front of the class and pulled this heart out. It was like, you know, like pointing to stuff and saying, here's this and here's that. That's nuts, right? <laughs> like, how does that work? Uh, that's crazy. 
I will say though, I've I've heard there's some big deer in Ohio. You know, you say she yeah, she got a twelve point. I I have yet to see a twelve point. Uh, one of the deer I got this year was an eight point, and mm-hmm. I saw a, a ten point, which is the biggest deer I've ever seen to date. Uh, but I was in my truck driving down the road when I saw it. But uh, <laughs> but I've heard there's some big deer in Ohio though. Yeah, it's all they do is eat corn all the all time. But uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, cool. So now. You've already told us some stuff about you. Now the challenge is, is there something about you that you're not too embarrassed about that you could tell us that no one would ever guess about you? Yeah, I think I can go ahead and open this can of worms, uh, worms <laughs> for, the, for the world to hear. Please, this is uh, It's a little bit should embarrassing, but... Should I be sitting down? Uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> So again, we just moved to this property last year from uh-huh. the suburbs. Uh, we lived in a regular neighborhood in a regular house. Uh, I, I, when, as soon as we moved here, uh, I bought chickens, uh-huh. and we now have nine chickens. We have eight hens and a rooster. Nice. Uh, and my wife calls me the chicken daddy okay. because when I get free time, I just go outside. <laughs> And I sit with the chickens and I play with the chickens. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's pro- it's a little embarrassing, but I'm kind of proud of it because I, I just, I mean, I like the chickens, man. And I just found out today, I told you I got eight hens and a rooster. Uh-huh. Um, well, I just found out, I thought I had uh, nine hens and I just found out yesterday that one of my hens is actually a rooster. So uh gracie joe's turned into a boy named sue <laughs> <laughs> what 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 do you find peaceful about these chickens what is it that you're getting out of this um i mean to be honest with you it's just yeah. and, and this is kind of going a little deeper than it probably should but no, go, go. You, you move out you move to the city you move to the suburbs and it's uh-huh. just concrete everywhere yeah. and and i grew up uh a good, good portion of my life in Alabama in the country um, and just kind of reconnecting with, with, with nature. Uh, I'm a big conservationist. I love conservation Uh, and just watching the chickens, people Mm -hmm. just hear, hear about chickens and they're like, they're just chickens. They lay eggs and they just walk around and peck at the ground. But if you actually sit there and watch them uh, and the same thing goes with deer hunting or, or any other type of animal. I mean, I've seen numerous deer that I haven't been able to shoot or decided not to shoot or whatnot. But, I mean, you just observe these animals and they actually communicate with each other. They have mm-hmm. mannerisms. They have different, you know, characteristics that are identifiable, you know, specifically to that animal. Um, and there's something about that that just really kind of gets me at peace. I, I, I couldn't tell you what it is, but I just really enjoy it. Well, I will, I will tell you, um, I grew up with chickens and ducks we we always had chickens around so i'm i'm with you 100 percent. and if anybody gives you any guff about this i'm there to back you up because i'm with you 100 <laughs> percent. so very cool that's a good one that's that's pretty good stuff and like and i truly mean that i literally grew up my uh we would go to the there was like a, a flea market or something maybe 20 miles away from where I, from the house i grew up in and we would get we would buy 
like two or three or four baby chicks at a time and take them and raise them like old banny hens and banny banny roosters and stuff i'm with mm-hmm. you very peaceful um well now that we got that out of the way um you served in the marine corps right yes sir and uh we're going to tell, I'm going to ask you to tell us a story or two that means the most to you about your service. But before that, tell us how, how you got into the Marine Corps, what moved you to do that, kind of what your situation was. You said you grew up in Alabama. Where in Alabama? Um, Mobile. Yeah. Uh, so you were an Auburn guy? Oh, no. Roll Tide. Because <laughs> I, I graduated from Auburn. <laughs> uh, oh, I think we're done here then. This, this call is now complete. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you grew up in, in Alabama. Tell us about how you uh, got moved to join the Marine Corps and uh, and what you did while you're in. Sure. So uh, on 9-11 of 2001, uh, I was at I was at school. I was in the 11th grade uh, when when the planes hit the towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had moved around a lot in my life. I was born in Alabama, moved to California, moved to Jersey, moved to North Carolina, and then back to Alabama all by the age of 15. Oh, wow. And one of the big reasons why I ultimately ended up back at Alabama uh, was, I was I was pretty good at football. Uh, when I was playing in North Carolina in middle school, my first year of high school. Um, but the team, the high school I went to, just they weren't really any good. Uh, and my mother lived in a school district in Alabama that had really good football teams mm-hmm. and produced a lot of high-caliber players and whatnot. So I, I moved to Alabama uh, after my sophomore year of high school to – go to Alabama and go to high school there and pursue ultimately trying to get a football scholarship. Yeah. Uh, and so nine 11 happened shortly after moving to Alabama and just, just the Patriot in me or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I decided kind of right then and there, I wanted to join the military. Were, uh, were you, were you angry? What was the feeling? Oh, you I was, uh, yeah, I was I was very angry. Now, now keep in mind, I was what 16 years old, so I didn't really know a whole lot about. Maybe I, I couldn't fully understand what happened. I I just kind of knew that we as a country had gotten attacked, yeah, uh, and thousands of people had died on American soil because of that. And that was really the you know the gist of what I how I understood it. Uh, and I did have some friends uh, that, that that were a year above me that once they graduated, they shipped off to the military. Yeah. Uh, and I actually ended up getting uh, some some football scholarship uh, interest. Uh, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, I had one scholarship and I had another school expressing interest. Uh, and I decided to turn them down. Uh, and I was decided to join the military. So the reason I joined the Marine Corps was, you know, after this, I kind of thought to myself, well, if I join the military right after this happens, I'm probably going to go to war. Mm -hmm. Uh, so 
to me, which branch, aside from, you know, specialty units and stuff like that, which branch overall just kind of has the best training that would help me prepare for that possibility? Yeah. And that answer for me was the Marine Corps. So that's kind of how I decided that the Marine Corps is what I was, I was going to do. Do, uh, was there, I don't think you mentioned this. Was there a, any family connection, any prior military in the family or anything? Um, so, uh, both my parents, uh, were in the Navy. Good. Uh, they were stationed, they were stationed in, uh, ADAC, Alaska together. Huh. Um, that's how I came about. Uh, and uh, they got married. And so I was, I was born. So I was, I was born in Alabama, uh, where my mom is born and raised. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my father was uh, stationed, had been restationed to Guam. Yep. And so my mom moved to California to kind of be closer. So me and my mom moved to California. My dad would come to visit when he could. Yeah. Uh, and then Ultimately, they decided that the marriage probably wasn't the best idea. They got divorced. Uh-huh. Uh, my my father had gotten out of the military, so uh, me and him moved to New Jersey, where he was born and raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was remarried, moved to North Carolina with them, and then I moved back to Alabama with my mom, which is where I finished yeah. high school. How how old was it um, you, when you were in California and your dad was in Guam? How old was that? How old were you at that time? Oh, I was young. I don't, I don't remember it. I was, I think okay. we lived there from the, just after I was born until maybe the age of one or one and a half. Got it. So you didn't, you didn't really have the, ex, it doesn't sound like you had the experience of being like a military brat where, you know, uh, dad was always gone and you were, you knew it, right? You weren't Correct. old enough. To, okay. Got it. Okay. Um, and so, so you were in, you were in Alabama when you joined, is that right? Yes. In Mobile? Yes. Uh, you remember the conversation with the recruiter, right? And how that went? Sergeant de Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like, I, I, I've, I, I still keep in touch with him from time to time. That's awesome. Uh, he, had a, he had a big impact on me. I mean, he, he hadn't been overseas yet, but, you know, yeah the the uniform and and just you know the general build of a regular marine it's yeah like that's what i want to be you know yeah and you went to paris island yeah i went to paris island uh i was there from june 2nd of 2003 to august 29th so the exact worst summer months you could be there (laughs) i was just gonna say a little bit warm (laughs) (laughs) a little yeah (laughs) I was uh, I was just talking to a, uh, a a Marine Corps drill instructor who I knew uh, at OCS. Right, I was around at OCS, uh, so because they did second tour of Marine Corps drill instructors were our drill instructors, um, and uh, I was telling him my my son went to uh, Paris Island too, and we went for the graduation. It was almost exactly the same time of, of year, and what was amazing to me, besides the change in the kid you know, from going through Marine Corps boot camp was the drill instructors walking around in uniform, absolutely drenched with sweat in uniform. It was outrageous, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you don't realize it at the time, but it's like everything that they're making you do 
and, yeah. and the suffering that they're putting upon you, they're doing 10x that to themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. Ser- it's seriously impressive. Uh-huh. Did, uh, did you get to the point where you could basically do the drill instructor stuff, where you could walk around with that same attitude and the same delivery? Could you do that? Oh, I could do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Like, you know, that intensity and, and the, the ability to speak like that, you know, and have all of these things in your head that you can just drill out and you're boom, 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 like that with that level of intensity. It's great. That's really good stuff. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the things that they, that they talk about and, and, and teach you even, I mean, to this day, you carry with you. And oh, yeah. It's a great value. Yeah. The, uh, so I did, I did my 20 years in the Navy, you know, not the, not the most intense branches service. Um, but definitely had the experience of 13 weeks of, uh, a Marine Corps run OCS, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but so my, uh, our, my youngest decides that he wants to go into the service and go back and forth. He ends up being the Marine Corps. So he's like 21 or something like that. And from, uh, kind of an outsider's perspective of him going through that, it, the change uh, in in him was absolutely, uh, it was like tangible. It was like you could tell. And the way that I've described it to other people is uh, before he went in, he he didn't have this gear that he had coming out where he could get serious. Like when he came out, he knew how to be serious, to be a serious person. You know, what was, what was your experience? What do you, what did you feel in a change going through boot camp? Yeah, I definitely went through a change. I've always been, you know, when I was in school and stuff, I was a, a jokester and I like to mm-hmm. talk and try to make people laugh and stuff. And yeah, uh, I, I still have that. Don't get me wrong. I, people think the Marine Corps boot camp changes to a robot. That's not the case. I still mm-hmm. have that. But at the same time, uh, I think the biggest thing that they try to instill in you is discipline mm-hmm. and, and knowing when to, when it's okay to kind of, you know, let your ha- hair down, so to speak. But uh, when it's time to be serious, it's also, it's time, it's time to, time to do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and what, what did, uh, what did you do? What was your MOS and what was your, what was your job? Uh, so whenever I was talking to my recruiter, uh, he was, I'm sure they kind of do this in the Navy with the Navy SEALs. Uh, mm-hmm. You can sign up in the Navy to be a Navy SEAL, but they don't tell you that like, you got to actually pass everything and like a half a percent of the people that actually apply for it fail and then they just put you wherever they want. Right. Uh, so I kind of had a little bit of a similar experience. I was, I signed up for uh, a contract for uh, security forces and uh, and didn't know that it was you know kind of a half a percent of the people that apply get into it and went to boot camp and that security forces is a uh, secondary mos so i had to have i had to have a primary mos which was 03 open which was 03 is the infantry designation and the open is we'll figure out what we're going to do with you once you get to the school of infantry. Uh, so while I was in boot camp, uh, and even after boot camp, 
Uh, I would have to go to uh, different meetings with different people from the government and Secret Service and um, all these three-letter agencies that I couldn't even tell you right now. Yeah. Uh, my my mom told me that uh, they were going talking to her and my friends and my family. Uh, and ultimately, <laughs> I ended up actually getting through uh, into the Security Forces program. Uh-huh. Uh, so my, my, my primary MOS was, was infantry. So once I graduated boot camp, I went to infantry school where I was given the designation of 0331 of a primary MOS, which is machine gunner. Okay. okay. Uh, and then after completion of, of that training, I went to security forces school. Very cool. And did, uh, so, uh, how long did you stay in total? The total amount of active duty years I did was five years. I only signed okay. up for four originally. I got recalled out of the IRR after being oh. out for two years. Really? That's, what was the event that caused you to get recalled? Uh, the fact that I had a top secret security clearance. Okay. Um, so did you do any deployments? Usually like security forces do stuff like embassies and... Uh, nuclear weapons and that kind of stuff. What did you end up getting stationed to, to do? Sure. Yeah. Yes. So, so the majority of security forces folks uh, either get stationed in uh, Bangor, Washington or Kings Bay, yeah. Georgia doing the, the nuclear security type stuff. Yep. Uh, I actually was accepted into the Yankee white program. Uh, so, uh, so I, so after I graduated security forces training, I went to the Marine barracks at eight to nine. In, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was uh, on the guard detail there. We did guard for the barracks, which is the oldest post in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Uh, we did security for the evening parades they have during the summers. Uh, the Commandant in the Marine Corps, who, as you know, is the top general in all of the Marine Corps, uh, mm-hmm. lives on site at the Marine Barracks. We did security for him as well. Uh, and then there's five other generals that live on the base as well uh we do security for them and then right down the road a few blocks we have the navy yard mm-hmm. and we have admiral's row where every admiral lives or a lot of admirals live mm-hmm. uh, we didn't do personal security for them but we did uh, kind of a, a post security for them as well as a perimeter security around their their little neighborhood but and you did do um, personal security for the marine generals yes yeah, we did uh, for the commandant of the Marine Corps and, and then the five generals that lived on site. Awesome. Okay. Sure. Um, and then most of the time, folks to get accepted into the Yankee White program, uh, they go to 8th and I. And then once their uh, clearance comes back, it could be two months after they're there. It could be two years after they're there. Uh, their clearance comes back. They have that top secret, uh, was top secret category two SCI, whatever it's called. Memorized, blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, once that comes in, uh, you'll either go in two directions. One will be Camp David, uh, doing security for president of the United States of Camp David, uh, uh-huh. or you'll go to the White House Communications Agency, which we yeah. refer to as WACA. Okay. And, uh, I was actually chosen to go to Camp David. Very cool. So you have a story or two about that, right? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, tell I me think this. Before, probably, before you start. Before you start on that, is is that are those the kind of stories that you're going to tell us that mean the most about your service, or are these like icing on the cake? Oh no, no, this is this is icing on the cake. All right, give me give us <laughs> an icing, and then we'll get to the cake. Go. I actually think I did way cooler stuff after all this, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Go for any, any Camp David stories will be great. Just a short one. And then let's get to the stories that, that mean the most to you. The ones that you're going to tell your kids when they're 20, 30, 40 years old about your Marine Corps time. Give us a Camp David story though. Sure. So uh, Camp David is a small facility. It's very, you know, not a lot of people there. And uh, a new chow hall was built. Camp David is technically a Navy base. The Marines are okay. just there for the security, security portion of it. Uh, and they built a new chow hall. And of course, the Navy doesn't want to do chow hall duty, so the Marines were also selected for chow hall duty. Uh, so we had a grand opening for oh the chow hall, and I was on chow hall duty, and I cooked omelets and sausage and bacon for breakfast. And uh -huh. you know, Marines and sailors would just come down the line. And George Bush actually uh -huh. came up to Camp David for the opening of the chow hall of the chow hall. And I made him an omelet, and he said it was really good. And he, he said it was really cool, and he gave me a coin. <laughs> That's awesome, man! That's a great story. <laughs> Have you? Uh, how old are your kids again? Uh, my daughter's two, and my son is three. Okay, so had has any of this kind of stuff come up? Probably not, right? They're busy. No, no, no. They're, they're, they, we're still having minimal conversation about, you know, picking up blocks and stuff. We're not down that far yet. And stop hitting your sister. Right? That's exactly right. How'd you know? Oh, well, I just knew. <laughs> um, well, cool. Well, so, so here's speaking of, of the, you know, kind of, we weren't speaking of it at all, but the, the cake of this story or the cake of this show, if you will, is uh, stories that, You'll tell your kids when they're 20 or 30 or 40, or more importantly, when they bring their kids over and they're four, five, and six years old, and they, you know, maybe they see something sitting on your shelf that, you know, is back from your Marine Corps time or something like that, and they ask you about it. What are what is the story or two that means the most to you about your service that you're going to remember for the rest of your life? Yeah, that's a great question. So kind of give a little backstory. So I was in that Yankee white program. It's, it's typically a, a two year commitment. Um, when I got there, I made a, I had a pretty good relationship with my, my company first sergeant. He ended up leaving as his tour was completed and ended up going to second battalion, third Marines, uh, infantry unit in Kenyway Bay, Hawaii. And Long story short, I kind of got to thinking a lot. And a lot of my job was pressed uniforms, standing tall and straight and stuff like that. And that's not why I joined the Marine Corps. It was cool. Don't get me wrong. And I'm glad I did it and stuff like that. But that wasn't why I joined the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to go overseas. Uh, so after talking with my uh, company commander, 
who was awesome, Major Fredrickson, uh, he allowed me to get out of the program and gave me the choice to go to whatever duty station I wanted. Uh, and I chose to go to 2nd Battalion 3rd Marines in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to 2nd Battalion 3rd Marines and got there in November of 2004. And now I was then assigned my regular primary MOS, which was 0331 Machine Gunner. Mm-hmm. And uh, we deployed to Afghanistan uh, early summer of 2005. And I I don't know if you have or not, but have you seen the movie Lone Survivor? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, with uh, about Marcus Luttrell and the Navy mm-hmm. SEALs getting killed. Yeah. So that was actually our operation, uh, my unit's operation. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, I was just a regular Joe infantryman, so I didn't know what they were doing while they were doing it. Yeah. But what they were ultimately doing was a reconnaissance mission. Uh, for us and so a lot of times overseas you get intel you don't ever know or question where it comes from uh and so this was kind of similar mm-hmm. uh we were told that we were a qrf a quick reaction force uh for a sf unit that was outside the wire uh in asadabad and you know the, the they got ambushed uh then the helicopter got shot down and at the time, it was the largest life or largest uh, casualties, uh, amount of casualties in one day in the war on terror. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the Korangal and Chowke Mountains, uh, there were no airplanes, or the, no helicopters or anything like that that were uh, bringing troops in. So there wasn't really anything we could do. We tried to hike in. Uh, to help them. We didn't really know who we were helping. We just knew that there were people pinned down and they needed help. Yeah. Uh, we ultimately were unable to get to them. Uh, far from it, actually. That was pretty much impossible. Uh, and so that's kind of, you know, once Marcus Luttrell was found, that's kind of when the story started coming out and stuff like that. Uh, and what a lot of people don't know uh, is that there was an operation after Red Wings. So I was in 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines. All of our operations were named after hockey teams okay. at Red Wings. Uh, so the operation that followed that was Operation Whalers. And there's actually been a book written about it. Uh, and that was after Marcus Luttrell was found and extracted. 2-3 uh, uh, went into the Korangal and Chowke Valleys and fought. Uh, and mostly eliminated all of the people that were involved in that and that's a very long story short but uh i don't know if you have any questions about that but what uh you you thought you had a a vision or a feeling or whatever when you were 16 and you decided you wanted to go in the marine corps right and fast forward to that time and then now does it feel like you did what you envisioned you wanted to do? A hundred percent. And, and leaving, uh, the almighty security forces, Yankee white program, uh, to go to, uh, infantry unit 
deploy overseas mm-hmm. and be and be part of something that was worthy of having a book written about it. Yeah. Uh, including a 28 day foot patrol, which was the longest completed foot patrol since Vietnam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was, it was worth it. It was everything that I would have hoped for and imagined. I mean, it, it was, it wasn't easy. God knows it wasn't easy. Um, I saw some some bad stuff. Yeah, uh, but we did we did a lot of good things there. What's what's the feeling that you have about that time? Is it pride? Is it uh, you know what what is it? What's the feeling that you have about that that period of your service? Uh, yeah, so I would say pride. I think that I know that not the not to say anybody's right or wrong, but I know a lot of vets that have seen a lot of action and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. deal with it uh, in a kind of negative manner uh, whether it be going to vices or stuff like that feeling down and stuff like that kind of the way that I kind of cope with things in my head is you know these are the people number one these are the people that you know conducted the, the attacks on 9-11 um, but at the same time these people want me and everybody in my family to die in the worst possible way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't necessarily feel any <laughs> guilt or remorse or any yeah. negative feelings towards anything that happened over there. Yeah. Do you stay connected with the, the, the folks from your team? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we get together every year. There's a, really? Oh yeah, last year. Uh, normally towards the end of the summer we get together. We last year, last year we actually got together twice. We got went to Texas once for a wedding, but then our actual regular get together we went to Lake Tahoe together. And the <laughs> okay. year before that we the year before that we went to Canyon Lake in Texas, and and I think this year we're going to do East Coast. So everybody kind of there's a balance there, but. I, I, I keep in touch with, with a lot of the guys that I served with and, and that yeah. that brotherhood is unbreakable. How many how many times have you told the story about uh the uh Operation Whalers? Um well my my family knows about it. Um uh-huh. you know I've I might tell you know my some of my close friends I I might have told. Yeah. Um, but most people know that I was in the Marines. Um, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'll tell anybody that I was in the Marines. That's fine. But yeah. my, my time, uh, at war itself, I don't really talk about a whole lot. I, the, the version that I just told you is probably what my wife knows. Um, yeah. and, and that's okay to me. Uh, I know what I did over there and, and my brother's, know what we did over there and, and I don't necessarily feel a whole big need to talk about it a whole lot or go into great detail with it. Yeah. The, um, that's what, that's what kind of my goal is, is to, for when it's needed and maybe sometimes for folks who don't know they need it and that they do is to provide some way to connect 
between people who will understand. And you're, you, you have this group of people that you were there with that you're staying connected with. And that's awesome. I know that some people, and I'd kind of count myself among them is we've lost, we've, how long, how long has it been since you got out of the Marine Corps? Uh, so after I got, after I got recalled into, I got out again in 2010. Yeah. Okay. So about the same, we've been out about the same time because I retired at the end of 10, like January 1st of 11 was my retirement. I've, I've just like kind of lost touch. And, uh, you know, I want, I want people to know that there's folks who've gone through stuff that's similar to them. And that's a, that's a pretty intense story, uh, that you tell there. And I'm I'm happy you did happy to provide a, an opportunity to do it. So don't get me wrong. There's and I will say this: there's a there's a lot of folks that we did serve with that are as not as uh, well off mentally as I've yeah. been able to be. Um, and I don't take that for granted. Uh, we've got a couple folks in jail for some stuff that they did mm-hmm. uh, just because they couldn't deal with stuff. And I'm. I'm not saying that I'm all sunshine and rainbows either. Um, I've talked to the VA before. Uh, yeah. I went through a six-month uh, program where I talked to a counselor on the computer uh, once a week for six months. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't stress enough how much that stuff helps. Even right. if you think you're, you're solid and you're good, that stuff helps. And, and another thing I can say is, is getting connected with the folks that you served with uh, in those hard times that's also key uh, because one of the reasons we started doing these get togethers is uh, one of our friends, uh, you know, ultimately ended up committing suicide and, and people had talked to him and, you know, you talk every now and then or whatnot, and you just kind of lose touch with people. And so to kind of prevent that, we've committed to, to staying in contact with each other and checking on each other. And, and if somebody's having a hard day, just reaching out to their brothers, uh, or their sisters, um, and, and just, you know, wanting to talk and knowing that no matter what they're going through, that they always have an ear, they can bend. Well, you are, uh, I appreciate the fact that you're actually living out the, the hope I have for this little, little effort, the, the garrison project. And, and I appreciate that. Um, one last question about your story. Besides the intensity of what, and this is obviously only me imagining. I was a submariner, like yeah, you know, <laughs> this is like a different, whole different environment. Obviously, <laughs> besides what I can imagine is the intensity. You said twenty-eight day foot patrol, right? That's correct. Yeah, twenty-eight days in this intense environment with this mission, you know, the highest order mission in a kinetic way that there can be. Twenty-eight days on a foot patrol. What's the worst just day-to-day grind part of being on foot patrol for 28 days? What is the thing that's like, Oh my God, this is driving me nuts. The mountains, I would say the mountains, um, the mountains attributed to every problem that we had. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that, uh, you know, the Hindu Kush mountains are, uh, same range that ultimately ends up being Mount Everest. Uh, okay. And, you know, it, it's nothing to look on the horizon and see 10 to 15 to 20 8,000 foot peaks. 
<laughs> and we had we had supply drops and you would see it vanish over the peak of a mountain that you're on it's like oh now we got to go get it <laughs> or if you're in a fire if you're in a firefight and you got to run 100 yards uphill oh my god rock where you, every step you take you lose a half step yep. um your feet i mean your ankles your shins it's a hundred gajillion degrees during the day and it's 30 at night yeah um and it's just that elevation in the mountains and it taught me a lot about life during that time yeah um but i will say the absolute worst possible thing would be the mountains that's uh that's pretty intense and that's the answer that i wanted i knew there was something there um thanks for sharing that T tell me this you you've you've already shared a heck of a lot uh from being passionate about conservation uh and hunting and fishing and your family and all those things the last uh Last question I have, you may have already answered, which is what, what gets you up in the morning now? Um, is it all of those or is there anything else in your life that really gets you excited about the next thing in front of you? Yeah. So, uh, when I first got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I kind of did what every single Marine does. It seems, uh, I became a police officer. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and the, the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood and sisterhood there kind of, yeah. kind of what draws you in and the never know what you're going to do today kind of thing. And, um, I got married, uh, and then I was working crazy hours. I'd have weekends off like once every six months, mm -hmm. but I, I love the job. I, I, to this day, I'd say it's one of the best jobs I ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, but my wife got pregnant. And that's kind of when everything changed for me. Um, yeah. And so I ultimately left the police department. I got a regular average Joe job uh, so I could have, you know, weekends, holidays off and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, and then we ultimately had my daughter. And that's what, I mean, that's what gets me up in the morning. Um, I didn't have the best childhood. I never lived in a, super stable household mm -hmm. uh, growing up and my mission in life has now turned into making sure that my kids grow up uh, with a you know, stable household, uh, a mother and a father who are in the same house that, that love them, show them that um, even though I may not get the you know, personal, selfish, professional satisfaction from my job. Um, mm -hmm. All of that is irrelevant to me because everything that I live for to this day is, is for my family. Tyler, God dang. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cannolis. That's, that's good stuff, man. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure we can end the show any better way than that. Those are powerful words. Um, if uh, if you're if you're open to folks reaching out to you, do you have any social handles you want to share? No, is no. Um, yeah, I've got yeah, I've got an Instagram. It's my last name, K L E M A S three one. Um, I don't know if my name will be on the podcast, but yeah. I have Facebook, yeah. which is my name. Um, and and I would encourage anybody, veteran or not veteran, if you're ever going through anything, you feel like you don't have anybody. 
that's BS because you got me. Shoot me a message. Even if I don't know you or I've never met you before, I'm here. I hear you, Tyler. That's an uh, awesome show. Hang, hang tight here while I end the, uh, end the recording. We'll wrap up off, off the microphones. But, man, a lot. Really, really an awesome show. Thank you for appearing, and thanks for being part of the Garrison Project podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it, buddy. Sure thing. You have been listening to the Garrison Project podcast with Dan Edinger. Veterans connecting with veterans across generations through the power of storytelling. Look for us on the web and social media, and please share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for the support. Like us whenever you listen to our podcast, and stay tuned for more episodes.